I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to KSL News Radio, and I'm Kirk Jowers. I am incredibly honored to have my friend, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, with us today. Ambassador O'Brien is currently serving as the 28th United States National Security Advisor. Ambassador O'Brien succeeded John Bolton, uh, who has been in the news a little bit over the last few months. Uh, Ambassador O'Brien also is an accomplished attorney and author. In fact, in The Hill, uh, a retired Foreign Service officer wrote, If you're wondering what trends and events will drive President-elect Donald Trump's foreign policy, you need to read While America Slept by Robert O'Brien. I recommend it as well. Uh, Robert, Ambassador, thank you for joining me today. Kirk, thanks. It's great to be with you, and it's great to be with your uh, listeners on KSL out in Salt Lake. Well, it's very gracious of you to join us. You have, you've got the busiest schedule of anyone I know, about the only person on earth traveling extensively. Uh, so it's, it's kind of you to carve out some time for us. Well, again, great, great to be with you. We've got, uh, the president has a lot happening. Uh, he's, uh, he's had some remarkable accomplishments the past couple of weeks and, uh, and he's, he's just continuing to, uh, to move forward, notwithstanding the election. We're, uh, uh, we've got a full plate here at the National Security Council as we, A, keep America safe, but also, you know, look to see how we can uh, advance our interests around the world and uh, and those of our allies. Well, and we're going to get to some, but not all of those uh, accomplishments, of which I know you are playing a, a, a key and pivotal, pivotal role. We go back uh, uh, in full disclosure to about at least 2005 when we both were serving in different capacities on Mitt Romney's initial a presidential campaign and continued together on his next one. So uh, you've had experience with McCain and so many other uh, great Republican leaders. So my first question is what everyone always wants to know, what's it like serving with and under President Trump? Well, number one, it's an incredible honor to serve in this office, uh, whoever the president is, uh, and and so it's a you know every day I come to the gates of the White House, which is is as the President Trump says is the people's house. It's uh, it's really a privilege to be here and and to work with uh, just just tremendous colleagues across the uh, the government, but especially those who are armed forces who I interact with on a regular basis, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, who are uh, Coast Guardsmen, who are uh, so involved in in keeping America safe and allowing us to. To go to our jobs and do all the things we do every day, uh, working with our diplomats. So, so that's a great privilege. Uh, specifically with, with President Trump, uh, you know, I, I did not know him well uh, before I I was uh, asked to be his hostage envoy, the job I had before this one, and got to know him in that position, and, and now work uh, very closely with him and uh, spend a lot of each day with him. And and he's just a uh, he's been a terrific guy uh, to me personally, and uh, he's a strong leader. He's a decisive leader. Uh, he's he, the first question you always ask uh, on any policy issue is how does this affect the United States, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, the American people come out on top on on whatever issue we're dealing with, and and that that doesn't mean that 
uh, America first doesn't mean America alone, or it doesn't mean we don't help our allies or our friends or are generous to them. He just wants to know how everything is going to going to impact the United States. So he's a a tremendous patriot, and uh, uh, and has just been a gentleman uh, uh, to work with. And and I don't want to spend too much time on on that personal nature. I will say the few times I've had the, the honor of meeting President Trump, he has uh, always surprised me with kind of how personally generous and, and kind he is, which is obviously not the the persona that often comes across in the media. He asks about me and my family and, and seems uh, not quite like the narcissist that he's portrayed as in so many things. Um, uh, and so I, I, I believe that on a personal basis, he would be, uh, it could be a, a good man to work for. Um, I know that our time uh, very, is short. Very, very cordially has also got a tremendous sense of humor, which is uh, makes, <laughs> makes work a lot more fun. He's uh, he's got comedic timing, and so it's uh, uh, we, we we have a good time here at the White House. A lot of you know a lot of tough issues and, and stressful days, uh, you know, depending on what we're facing. But uh, it, it's great to be with him. He also has a, a tremendous manner. I've talked about this on on Hugh Hewitt's radio show. He's really got a great manner and a cordial manner with with foreign leaders. Uh, he gets along very well with his peers, with other heads of state and heads of government. Uh, we just had a, a great meeting with the Prime Minister of Iraq here in the White House today, and uh, you know some tough issues to get through, but uh, uh, the, the the atmosphere was uh, was extraordinarily cordial as it always is when President Trump's interacting with with other world leaders. A little, it's a little different than uh, than some of the interactions with you know the chopper talk out by the. Uh, uh, with the, on the press line as he's going to the helicopter in the briefing room sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, uh, you, you gave me a, a quick in uh, because of the timing where you talked about an honor to serve uh, in that capacity. One of my greatest mentors, uh, friends, and heroes was Brent Scowcroft, who passed away recently. Of course, Brent was born in Utah went on to serve as the ninth and 17th United States National Security Advisor under Ford and the first Bush. He also advised President Obama in an informal way and, and did so much more for our country. He helped shape the world in significant ways. Uh, any thoughts on, on Brent before we get to some of the meteor issues? Uh, listen, Brent Scowcroft is the model for anyone who works in this job, and and I, I came into the job. I didn't have the the privilege of of knowing him the way you did, uh, uh, but but when I came to the office, I said I want to follow the Scowcroft model and return the NSC to the, uh, the, the, the the return the process and return the size of the NSC and and return the way that we do business here at the NSC uh, to the way it was run when when Brent was the the National Security Advisor. Uh, he set the standard, and, and listen, when you talk to your your predecessors and, and and they've all been generous to me on on both sides of the aisle and and spending time with me. But if you talk to Condi Rice or Henry Kissinger or Jim Jones or Stephen Hadley, H.R. Uh, McMaster, uh, you know, I think all of us who've served after Brent have tried to, to emulate the the way that he ran the council and 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 he was a, a tremendous gentleman and uh, and I think his his ability to bring people together, his persuasiveness, and his uh, uh, his concern that everyone, that all the all the cabinet secretaries and agencies heads, have their day in court and are, are allowed to to give their views. Uh, I think I think that's what allowed him to to be such an effective national security advisor. And we've all tried to uh, follow in his footsteps. So I, I you know I made a statement when he passed away that it was a uh, you know it's a uh, I've got a, even a more uh, you know I, I respect him and admired him before I came to this position and uh, and now sitting in his chair. Uh, I have a greater appreciation for his uh, his wisdom, his dignity, and the manner in which he performed the job. So it's uh, 
Uh, he, he served the country both as an Air Force officer, but also as a, uh, a national security advisor and uh, in other positions in, in, in the White House. So uh, he, he did great things for his country and, and is a credit to Utah and, and his parents and his family uh, who came from the Mountain West. Uh, thank you. You make me slightly teary-eyed thinking back to him. What a what a great man. But uh, I only have about three minutes left, and I'm taking a couple of minutes for my next guest because I know you have a hard stop as well. But uh, I want to get to at least one of these big uh, uh, projects that you're working on. Uh, you were in Florida last weekend to unveil President Trump's Western Hemisphere Strategic Framework, the first time a strategy for the Western Hemisphere – has been unveiled in 16 years since 2004. Uh, you then traveled to Panama and Colombia on Monday to roll out that strategy. Quickly, what is the strategy and why now? Sure. The, the, the framework, it, well, you know, it's something we've been working on, and, and the president put together a national security strategy, and the, the national defense strategy was done at the Pentagon. Uh, the president's very focused on the Western Hemisphere and on our neighbors here, and as we see the uh, the COVID virus uh, ravaging the world and, and, and really cutting off our supply chains early in the, the crisis from China, uh, we didn't have those same issues with our, our partners in the Western Hemisphere. And so what we wanted to do was roll out at this time. We thought it was the right time to roll out the, the framework, which has five pillars, securing the homeland, advancing economic growth, and expanding free markets, uh, reaffirming the region's commitment to democracy and the rule of law. And, and we're in a unique the time in the Western Hemisphere, where we only you know, we've got democratic governments in every every country other than Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba. So it's it's really been a renaissance in the Western Hemisphere on the political side, and the democracy and, and rule of law uh, side of the the ledger, uh, countering aggression and economic aggression from from outside the region, which you've got with China. Just just recently, they sent a massive fishing fleet to. Uh, Envelop the Galapagos Islands and um, and do some strip fishing there and, and harm the species and harm the fisheries and, and then expanding the, and strengthening the commitment of like-minded partners and we have a, a lot of them in, in the Western Hemisphere now so uh, that that's the framework we've rolled it out we we want our neighbors to be prosperous uh, free and and we think that's good for us economically but we also think it's good for us from a national security standpoint. How were you and uh, the strategy received in in Panama and Colombia? You know, it was, it, the, the welcome was tremendous. I think I was the first uh, senior foreign leader diplomat to, to visit uh, President Nito Cortizo in, in Panama. Uh, he couldn't have been more welcoming. Uh, we're working with Panama on, on anti-money laundering. Uh, we're working with them on a number of security issues uh, with the canal. And I had the opportunity there to deliver 50 Made in America ventilators uh, that uh, President Pr Trump had promised to the Panamanian people and that the American taxpayers generously paid for. I think we've got another 200 coming, but uh, we're, we're really rolling out to try and help them with the, the COVID crisis. And uh, the city's really uh, is under lockdown, as it was in Bogota. Uh, in Bogota, President Duque uh, was just terrific. Colombia has been a great partner of America for, for many years, for 20 years. We spent a lot of time talking about how we can stem the flow of illegal drugs coming from Colombia through Venezuela and up through the Caribbean to, to the United States. And uh, uh, we made a lot of progress. And I think we're going to have something announced in the not-too-distant future, uh, uh, some private sector investment in the rural parts of Colombia that will encourage, hopefully, their their farmers and the folks cultivating the cocoa to uh, uh, switch to other crops and, uh, uh, and, and help end the scourge of, of uh, cocaine that's coming up into America. So uh, really terrific visits in both uh, uh, Bogota and Panama City. 
Uh, Ambassador O'Brien, I wish I had another three hours with you. Uh, amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, please give your best, to, my best, to your family uh, and and for your sacrifice uh, for our country to to make all of these great things happen. Thank well, you so much. Well, your family as well, and again to everyone out in Utah. I missed my time out there, but uh, we'll we'll be out to visit in, in Salt Lake. I think at least for the vice presidential debate. So I'm looking forward to seeing family and friends and uh, uh, out in the uh, uh, in the, the the Salt Lake Valley. And uh, uh, again, best to you, Kirk, and and everyone listening to your show. Thank you so much. Please stick around. When we come back, we'll talk about high school and college football. Will we see any games in September or beyond? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.